0: and miseries of an old bailey hack. Some cases of Horace Rumpole, barrister at law, as told to and written down by John Mortimer, with Morris Denham as Rumpole and Margot Boyd as Hilda.
1: <laughs>
0: Rumpole and the Man of God
2: Mornings at seven, or rather just about ten-thirty, the hillsides dew I was walking through temple gardens to my chambers in a moderately good mood. The larks on the wing, the snails on the thorn. God's in his heaven. And with any luck at all, there's a little crime going on somewhere in the world. Robert Browning. The Rumpel version. What's on the menu today? A conference with the vicar. And the trouble with vicars is they make the most terrible witnesses. I mean, we've all called him, haven't we? To tell the judge that the dear little lad who mugged the old lady in the off-licence is a pillar of the local youth club and that he's coming on ever so nicely at Ping Pong. <laughs> in my experience, when you get that sort of evidence from gentlemen of the cloth, it adds about two years to the sentence.
3: Philly, have you seen my brief uh, for the, the Brillington case? case? No, no, I haven't. done. I'm sorry, I'm just, coming sorry, in. I'm oh.
2: just going oh, through top. the post. Well, good much. morning, all. Good morning, Hi, morning. I've just seen a clergyman going into your room. Oh, morning, Featherstone. That's my con. Uh, your conversion, Rumpole. Mm. Have you seen the light? Mm? Is number two Equity Court your road to Damascus? Uh, uh, huh? Skin brown, you've done a funny. Matter of fact, the reverend gentleman is my client. He's coming for a conference. Oh dear, ah. vicar in trouble. Right now, where old Tom Cartwright, known to us all as Uncle Tom, was our oldest and most briefless barrister. He came into chambers only to do the crossword puzzle and get away from his unmarried sister. The vicar in trouble?
0: I suppose it's the choir oh, boys sure. again. I always think the church runs a terrible risk having choir boys and to be far safer with a load of middle-aged lady sopranos.
4: I wouldn't have thought that vicars were your line of country, Rumpo.
2: It was the voice of Miss Phillida Trant, our lady barrister oh, and the Porsche of our chambers. Of course, they're my line of country. Anyone accused of nicking half a dozen shirts is my line of country. <laughs> no, (laughs) Rumpole, you're bright and early in chambers this morning. George Frobisher, my dear
3: old learned friend. You haven't forgotten about tonight, have you, Mm Rumpole? Tonight, I'm bringing a friend to dinner with you and Hilda. Well, you actually want to spend an evening with she who must be obeyed. I have a little news, and I'd like you and Hilda to be the first to know.
2: (sighs) Quite unusually, my old friend seemed to be speaking out of a perfumed-laden haze. George! You haven't taken to brilliant team
3: by any chance. We'll be there for 7.30. Mm. Oh, I say, Rampole, I saw a cleric
2: going into your room. What's he done? Got himself into trouble with the choir boys? No, George, it's not the choir boys. It's the sales. The reverend gentleman is charged with pinching six shirts from the menswear department at Frisbee's. He was nabbed with them in his shopping basket in the hall of food. The man of God came with a sister, Miss Evelyn Skinner a brisk woman in sensible shoes who'd foolishly let him out of her sight in the haberdashery, and my old friend Mr Morse, the solicitor's clerk. My client, the Reverend Mordred Skinner, was a pale, timid individual, with watery eyes and pinkish nostrils, as if he'd caught a severe cold during his childhood and never quite got over it.
4: Surely there's a perfectly simple explanation, Mr Rumpo. My brother's mind was on higher things.
2: Uh, he was aiming to raid the roof garden? Oh, uh, forgive me. Uh, suppose your brother tells me all about it. I, um, I was, I suppose, a little confused, mm. a little preoccupied. It was, as a matter of fact, a tremendous honour. Or to be nicked in the hall of food...
4: My brother has been invited to preach in interdenominational week. At the cathedral, yes. By the Bishop of Deptford.
2: Well, we must make sure you don't let your public down. Now, let me see. Six sports shirts with collars, presumably. Do you wear shirts like that? Oh, yes. You went out with the lads' brigade on rambles round the slip Reservoir. Hmm? My brother takes them to Epping Forest. Oh, my dear lady, I do apologise. I gather you'd suggested the trip to the sales.
4: His clothes are falling to pieces. Ah. Were you with him at the shirt counter? Not... not all the time. I'd gone to look for some socks for Mordred. Mm.
2: You didn't get any?
4: No, they were all too garish. Mm.
2: And while you were standing in the gent's haberdashery, Mr Skinner, your mind was on what exactly? The problem of evil. Mm, eh. What puzzles the ordinary fellow is, if God is all-wise and perfectly good... Why on earth did he put evil in the world? Um, May I suggest an answer? Please. Well, perhaps so that ordinary fellows like me would get a few briefs round the old Bailey and London sessions. No, no, I, I can't think that's what he had in mind.
4: It may seem a very trivial little case to you. No,
2: it's not trivial. A man's reputation is never trivial. I must beg you all to take it extremely seriously. And Mr Skinner, may I ask you to address your mind to one vital question? Given the fact that there were six shirts in the shopping basket you were carrying, how the hell did they get there? I can't tell you. I've prayed about it. Mm. May I remind you that when you were asked for an explanation by the store detective, the best you could do was to call the whole thing a total mystery. I'm afraid that's the best explanation we can give of most of the important things in life. Mm. Well, Mr Morse, our only chance is a trial by jury. The Reverend would have liked a quick hearing in the magistrate's court. Mm. A quick hearing in the magistrate's court is as bad as pleading guilty. (laughs) Well, thank you, and good day to you all. Good day. Thank you, Mr Rumpel. Oh, and Mr Skinner, when you're next to prayer, pray for a defence... Who no. oh, is it Henry? Oh, my wife. She who must be obeyed. Yes, Hilda. Yeah, yeah, I I know George is coming to dinner and bringing a friend. I have an uneasy suspicion it may be a lady. The poor fellow's taken to dousing his head in brilliantine. <laughs> ah. Yeah, 2 pounds of cooking apples from the shop by the tube station. To hear is to obey. Yes? Uh,
4: Mr. Rumpel... Yes? uh, Oh, I...
2: Excuse me. And a cabbage. Yes, goodbye, Hilda. Ah, Miss Skinner.
4: I just wanted to say, I don't think you quite understand my brother.
2: Oh, well, I've never felt totally at home with Vickers.
4: He's like a child in many
2: ways. The Peter Pan of the pulpit...
4: I'm two years older than Mordred. I've always had to look after him. He wouldn't have got anywhere without me, Mr Rumpole. Simply nowhere. If I hadn't been there to deal with the parish council and say the right things to the bishop, Mordred never thinks about himself or what he's doing half the time. That's just what you'll have to make clear to the jury.
2: Mm. You should have kept a better eye on him at the sale.
4: Of course I should. I should have been watching him like a hawk every minute. I blame myself entirely. Evelyn, coming, dear, coming at once. Always
2: keep tight hold of nurse for fear of finding something worse. <laughs>
3: <No>! <laughs> we wanted you to be the first
2: to know. Well, it's good of you to bring the bottle, George. <laughs> In addition oh, to the bubbly, George had mm-hmm. brought a lady friend. Mm. Mrs. Ida Tempest had reddish hair piled on her head, what I believe is known as a Cupid's bow mouse in the trade, and the sort of complexion which makes you think that if you caught its owner a brisk slap, you'd choke in a cloud of white powder.
5: Oh, I do love bubbly. I love the way it goes all tickly up the nose, don't you, Hilda?
1: We hardly get it often enough to notice.
2: Well then, uh, if we're filled up, I suppose it falls to me, accustomed as I am to public speaking. Usually, on behalf of
1: the criminal classes.
2: Uh, yes. Well, I think I know what's expected on these occasions.
5: You mean you're like the film star's fifth husband? Mm? You know what's expected of you, but you don't know how to make it new. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: yes. It's rather good that. Well then, here's to the happy couple. Here's to us, Georgie.
3: My dearest.
2: Uh,
5: Would you care for a little more Charlotte Roos, Mrs. Tempest? Oh, Ida. Please call me Ida. Well, just a teeny-weeny scraping. I don't want to lose myself like figure, do I, Georgie? Otherwise, you might not fancy me anymore.
3: There's no danger of that. Of you
5: not fancying <laughs> me? Oh, I know. Of
3: losing you... your figure, my dear. She's slim as a bluebell. Isn't she slim as a bluebell, Rumpel?
2: Well, I suppose that rather depends on the size of the bluebell.
5: Oh, Horace, you are terrible. <laughs> Why have you been keeping this... Terrible man from me, George.
3: (laughs) I hope we're all going to see a lot of each other. When? After we're married. Oh,
1: yes, George. I'm sure that'll be very nice. Uh, Can I top you up,
5: Ida? Oh, lovely glasses. So Hmm. tasteful. Just look at that, George. Isn't that a lovely, tasteful glass? They're rejects,
2: actually, from the Army and Navy stores. Uh, What whim of providence was it that led you across the path of my old friend George Frobisher?
3: Uh, Mrs. Tempest, that is, Ida, came as a guest to the Royal Borough Hotel. You know that's where I've been putting up since I lost my poor sister.
5: You noticed me, didn't you, dear?
3: I must admit, I did.
5: And I noticed him noticing me. (laughs) You know how it is with men, don't you, Hilda? Sometimes I wonder if Rumpel notices me at all.
2: Hm. Well, of course I notice you. I come home in the evenings and there you are. I notice you all the time.
3: As a matter of fact, we first spoke in the manageress's office... We had both gone to register a complaint on the question of the bath water.
5: There's not enough hot water to fill the valleys, I told her, let alone cover the hills. <laughs> George agreed with me, didn't you, George?
3: Shall I say, we formed an alliance. Oh, we
5: hit it off at once. We've so many interests in common.
3: Really? Born dancing. What? Mrs. Tempest, that is, Ida, has cups for it. George, you're a secret ballroom dancer. We are going for lessons together at Miss Mackay's École de Danse in Rutland Gate. And we listen to the BBC Overseas Service, old Victor Sylvester records requested from Nigeria. They only seem to care for ballroom dancing
2: in the third world nowadays. Is your life going to be devoted entirely to pleasure?
3: Does
5: Horace tango at all, Hilda? He's never been known to.
1: Uh, Mrs Tempest, you'll want to powder your nose. Oh, don't think so.
5: My nose is all right, isn't it, George?
3: Perfection. <laughs> uh,
5: oh, do you mean spend a penny? Uh, no, no, I didn't mean that.
1: It's customary at this stage, isn't it, to leave the gentleman?
5: Oh, you mean you want a hand with the washing up? Now, not too many naughty stories now, Horace. We don't want you leading my Georgie astray. seems to be a very kind sort of person. Not when I ask him to carry the shopping basket. But he always
1: defends. Oh, no, that's not because he's kind. That's because he likes teasing judges. Uh, shall I... Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, thank you. You don't get much, much a chance to tease judges, not if you prosecute. I always tell Rumpel, if only prosecute, they might make him a judge eventually. Might they? I really feel that he should be moving on. After all, I tell him he's done it by now, all the heavier crime, I suppose so. <laughs> I'll soon tell you all about it. He loves telling everyone about his old cases.
5: Huh? Oh dear, I've dropped one of your lovely glasses. Oh, what a tragedy!
1: doesn't matter. I'll get the dustpan. It really doesn't matter at all.
2: Thank you, Good help. <laughs> But don't do it, George. Don't get married it's It's like pleading guilty for an indefinite sentence without parole. <laughs> Surely you're exaggerating, not in the least. A cigar George no, 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 no. Mm. Now, tomorrow. I've got to defend a thieving vicar in front of that brute Judge Bullingham down to the London sessions. <laughs> but I tell you honestly, George, even Bullingham at his bloodiest is a picnic compared with married life. Why Bullingham was ever made a judge is one of the great unsolved mysteries of the universe. I can only suppose that his unreasoning prejudice against all black persons, defence lawyers and probation officers comes from some deep psychological cause. <laughs> The mad bull showed his hand truly at the trial of the Reverend Mordred Skinner. Good luck, Mr. Rumpel. Uh, <clears> I need it.
3: Do you want to cross-examine the store detective on behalf of the defence, Mr Rumpole? Mm. There seems to be no doubt he found the shirts in your reverend client's shopping
2: basket. Well, if your lordship has already decided this case. Of course I haven't. Oh, I'm delighted to hear it. Uh, just a few questions, then. Mr Pratt, when you were in the shirt department... Yes, sir. You didn't see my client remove the shirts from the counter and make off with them, did you? No, sir. If he had, no doubt, he would have told us about it. Ah, your honour is always quick to notice points in favour of the defence. Mr Pratt, in the shirt department, you couldn't see who was carrying the shopping basket, could you? No, sir. It might have been Mr Skinner or his sister. He was certainly carrying it when I searched him in the
0: hall of food.
2: Yeah, I dare say. Uh, tell me this: it would have been quite impossible for Mr. Skinner to have paid at the shirt counter, wouldn't it?:
0: No, sir. there were two assistants behind the counter.
2: Young ladies, yes, sir. And uh, when you saw them, what were they doing? Like I, I can't exactly recall. Well, then uh, let me jog your memory. I mean, let me hazard a guess. Were they not huddled together in an act of total recall of last night at the disco or Palais? D'Or? Were they not blind and deaf to the cries of shirt-buying clerics? Were they not utterly oblivious of the life around them? Well, Mr Pratt, isn't that exactly what they were doing? It uh, may have been, Your Honour. So is it surprising that my client took his purchases and went off in search of some more attentive assistance. But I followed him downstairs to the all of food. Have you any reason to suppose he wouldn't have paid for his shirts there, given the slightest opportunity? I saw no sign of his attempting to do
0: so, and when I searched his bag and found the shirts, all he could say, Your Honour, was, it's a mystery. <coughs> yeah.
3: Then I suggest we pursue the mystery at ten past two, members of the jury. The standing in court. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Doesn't the judge like you, Mr. Rumpel? Oh,
2: fate spun the wheel and dealt us Judge Bullingham. I'm afraid God is not on our side. Mr. Rumpel? Eh? I must speak to you. Oh, what is it? I can't give evidence. But you... Mm. Mr. Morse, I suggest you take Miss Skinner down to the canteen. Yes, eh?
4: Certainly, Mr. Rumpel. Mm.
2: Unless you fancy the pub, Miss Skinner, meat pie and a pint of guineas. No,
4: Thank you very much.
2: Ah, very well, then. Ah, come along, Vicar. We clearly have matters to discuss. Well, what do you mean you can't give evidence? You'll have to. I simply couldn't take the oath. Well, what's the matter with you? Have you no religion? You don't like me very much, Mr Rumpel, do you? Well, I felt you might tell me the truth. You of all people. Having your collar back to front must mean something. Can
5: I take the empties?
2: Oh, yes, yes. yes. Truth is often dangerous. It must be approached cautiously, don't you think? Mm. Let me approach it cautiously. Now, I've noticed with women, with my wife, for instance... When we go out on our dreaded Saturday morning shopping expeditions, that she who must be obeyed is in charge of the shopping basket. But when the shopping's bought, I get the job of carrying the damn thing home. Simple faith is far more important than the constant scramble after unimportant facts. Well, my simple faith tells me that your sister had the basket in the shirt department. Does it? When Pratt saw you in the hall of food, you were carrying the shopping basket, which she'd handed to you on the escalator. Perhaps. Because she'd taken the shirts and put them in the basket when you were thinking of your sermon on the problem of evil. You don't like mysteries, do you? Not very much. I could tell you a story. You may not find it particularly helpful. Well, try me. She was a pretty child. It's difficult to believe it now. She was attracted to bright things, boiled sweets, red apples, jewellery and Woolworths. As she grew older, it became worse. She would take things she couldn't possibly need. Spectacles, bead handbags, cigarette cases, although she never smoked. She was like a magpie. I thought she'd improved. I tried to watch her as much as I can, although you're right, on that day I was involved with my sermon. Mm. As a matter of fact, uh, I had no need of such shirts. It may be old-fashioned, but I always wear my dog collar. Always. Even on rambles with the lads' brigade? All the same. I I believe she did it out of love. And those are the facts. And that's what I'm bound to say if I take my oath on the Bible. you were prepared to lie to me. Mr Rumpole, I have the greatest respect for your skill as an advocate... I have never been in danger of mistaking you for Almighty God. (laughs) Look, tell the truth in court. She'll only get a fine. Nothing. To her, it would be everything. She couldn't bear it. What about you? You'd give up your whole life. It seems the least I can do for her. Jesus Christ, I don't know how I keep my temper. I I do sympathise. He found his ideas irritated people dreadfully, particularly lawyers'. Members of the jury, this is the golden thread that runs throughout British justice. The prosecution must prove its case. The defence has to prove nothing. Mr. Rump, The Reverend Mordred Skinner need not trouble to move four yards from that dock to the witness box unless the prosecution has produced evidence that he intended to steal and not to pay in another department. Mr. Rump, Never let it be said that a man is forced to prove his innocence... Our fathers have defied kings for that principle, members of the jury. They forced King John to sign Magna Carta and sent King Charles to the scaffold for it. And it has been handed down even to the inner London Sessions Newington Causeway. If you'd let me get a word in edgeways, And now it is in your trust. Mr. Rumpel. Uh, yes, my lord. I entirely
3: agree with every word you say.
2: Uh, oh,
3: I shall direct the jury accordingly. Members of the jury, there is insufficient evidence in this case. The Reverend Gentleman may have intended to pay for his shirts before he left the store. I direct you to bring in a verdict of not guilty.
2: You've witnessed a miracle. The natural malice of the bull quelled by the rule of law. I was quite reconciled to losing I don't think my sister would have stood by me somehow. She couldn't have put up with the disgrace, you see. I think I should have been alone. Oh, you'd have been out of a job. I definitely heard the rustle of a distant unfrocking. Might have been extremely restful. Not to have to pretend any sort of sanctity, not to pretend to be different or better. To be just the same as all your other clients. Oh, don't long for a life of crime, old darling. You've obviously got no talent for it.
4: We can go now, dear. You're quite free to go.
2: I told your brother it was a miracle.
4: You're much too religious, Mr. Rumpel. As a matter of fact, I thought the judge was extremely fair. Better put your mac on, dear. It's raining outside.
3: Yes, Evelyn, yes, I'll put it on.
2: When I got back to Chambers, I did something I'd been putting off far too long. I turned out the souvenir cupboard in the corner of my room. Memories of Rumpole's Great Cases. Uh, photographs in the Penge bungalow murders. <laughs> Analysis of bloodstains in the old brick-lane billiard hall killing. Dagger used by the snittering circus dwarf when he slew the strong man. Ah, there it is. Photograph of the burned-down Saracen's Head Hotel with a picture of the owners standing in the ashes. Will no one tell me what she sings? Perhaps the plaintive numbers flow from old, unhappy, far-off things and arson long ago. Yes, no doubt about it. A photograph of Mrs. Ida Tempest. Hmm. Oh, George must never know.
5: Rumpole. Hmm? Everyone's waiting for
2: you. Oh, how are you, Portia? What
5: are you doing?
2: Oh, I was lost. Lost for a moment in old forgotten cases.
5: But everyone's waiting for you.
2: Old, unhappy, far-off things and battles long ago. Hmm? You keep things, Miss Trant. Mementos, locks of hair, old letters tied up in ribbons. Among my souvenirs. Hmm? <laughs> Not really. Good.
5: Well, I've got my first brief when I prosecuted you in Dock Street.
2: <laughs> and I outwitted you. Mm. Now, destroy it. Forget the past, eh, Miss Grant? Look to the future.
4: Oh, well, come on, then. We're all having a drink for George Frobisher up huh? in Guthrie Featherstone's
2: room. Oh, our learned head of chambers. How oh, he does love the opportunity of making a speech.
1: Now, has everybody got a glass? Uh, Philip. Yes, yes.
2: Uh, yes, Claude. Uh, well, have we got something in it? Here we are. Well, quiet, please, quiet. Tom? Uncle uh, Tom, uh, Tom, have uh, you got... Ask him him? Quiet. Oh, I'm so sorry, Carl. It's well known among lawyers that the finest advocates never make the best judges. Yeah. The glory of the advocate is to be opinionated, partisan, hectoring, rude, <laughs> cunning and unfair. Oh, thank you Featherstone. Not at all, Rumpel. <laughs> the ideal judge, however, is detached, courteous, patient, painstaking... And above all, quiet. Nonsense. These qualities are to be found personified in the latest addition to our bench of circuit judges. Yes. Circus judges, Rampold calls them. <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Tom. Please raise your glasses to his honor, Judge George Frobisher. Judge yeah. George, George Frebisher. health. Good. Your health, George. <laughs> <laughs> coupled with oh, the name of Mrs. Ida Tempest. No, Rumpel,
3: no. Hmm? What do you mean, no? Mrs. Tempest left the Royal Borough Hotel last week, Rumpel. I had no means of knowing where to find her.
2: Ah.
0: It was your fault, Rumpel.
3: My
2: fault? You recognised it, didn't you? Mm. What was the charge? Arson? <sighs> There's a small hotel on the Kent coast. It <laughs> caught fire, and Mr. and Mrs. Tempest claimed the insurance. Her late husband had been buying vast quantities of paraffin. But I'd never have told you that, George. Discretion is Rumpole's middle name. I were silent as the two. No, she told me. She thought you'd recognize her, and she decided to tell me first. Mm. As I remember, Mrs. Ida Tempest got three years. Yes. And her late husband got seven. But I, I don't believe Ida actually applied the match.
3: All the same, it was a risk I didn't feel able to take. It doesn't do for a judge's wife to have done three years, even with full remission. Did you have to be a judge, George? I thought of that, of course, that I had the appointment. You know at my
2: age, Rumpel, it's difficult to learn any sort of new trade. Oh, come on, drink up, George. There may be other ladies turning up at the Royal Borough Hotel. I very much doubt it. Every night
3: when I sit at the table for one, I shall think, if only I'd never taken her to dinner at Rumpel's. Then I might never have known, don't you see? We could have been perfectly happy together. Sometimes I feel it will be difficult to forgive you, Rumpel. But what did I do, George? You knew. That's the trouble with you, Rumpel. You know too much about too many people. Now come
2: on, come on, everyone. Isn't yeah. this the moment to celebrate Judge Frobisher's appointment the the in the usual manner Absolutely. in the song? Oh. <laughs> for
0: he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, for he's a jolly good fellow, and so say all of us. <laughs> <laughs> was Morris Denham as Rumpole, Margot Boyd as Hilda, and Michael Spice as Guthrie Featherstone in The Man of God. Judge Bullingham was played by John Savident, George Frobisher, Dennis Hawthorne, Mr. Morse, Leonard Fenton, Claude Erskine-Brown, Brian Carroll, Uncle Tom, Patrick Barr, Miss Trant, Amanda Murray, Mr. Pratt, Michael McStay, Mrs. Ida Tempest, Jenny Lee, the Reverend Mordred Skinner, Richard Vernon and his sister Evelyn, Lally Bowers. Rumpole and the Man of God was written by John Mortimer and directed by Peter King.